0: Hold <laughs> up! everybody, and welcome to Richmond Kickers Weekly. I'm your host for this week, Taylor Rockwell. Joining me, I have a special guest, no Daryl Grove, but a more esteemed guest, a more ho- high-profile guest, I'm going to say. It's Matt Spear, the president of the Richmond Kickers. Hello, Matt. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> that was better than mine. That was g- genuinely better than mine. I have struggled to do the hello and welcome uh, whenever Daryl is not here. I feel like you may end up replacing me, so thanks for that. I'm trying my best. <laughs> Well, Matt's here uh, to talk a little bit about the season so far, a little bit about what it's been like to be the president of the Kickers. But first, I wanted to start with Charlie Slagle. That was some fairly shocking news when that came through. Uh, I'm assuming that was shocking for you
1: as well. Absolutely. So a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. Charlie Slagle um, has been our vice president of community engagement and game day uh, experiences, um, vital piece of what we're trying to do here with Richmond Kickers and and, and turn this thing into a new chapter. Um, so, yes, very sudden death last week, um, 67 years Young, um, but an incredibly impactful mm-hmm. life um, that I can tell you a little bit about. But special, special man to me, um, and, and really kind of sunk his teeth into and really leaned into this job here in in Richmond.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, for me, like I, not knowing Charlie before the season started, like the thing that stood out to me. I think there was one game where I saw him like organizing something before halftime. Then he was doing the emceeing of like the the youth game on the field at halftime. Then I saw him up like taking tickets for something. Then when people were leaving the stadium, he was there saying goodbye. Like he was. Yeah. <laughs> all over the place. And so I know even just in that like short amount of time with the Kickers, or relatively short, he had that big of an impact. My mother-in-law knew who Charlie was somehow. I don't know how that is. So he did seem like that person who kind of knew everyone all the time.
1: Yeah, Charlie, you know, there's only one Charlie Slagle. I mean, he's incredibly authentic. He's an original. Um, and people just love the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a warmth and a smile and a twinkle in his eye that's irreplaceable. Um, so he never forgot a name. He never met a stranger. Um, so he was great for this role. And when I decided to join um, this adventure, he was the first guy I, I talked to, the first guy I wanted on our team to really be here and, and turn this thing up a notch.
0: And, and how far back does that relationship go? All the way back to Davidson? Is that correct?
1: So actually before Davidson, okay. I, known, I knew Charlie for about 35 years. So when I was 12 or 13, growing up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, my older brother played for Charlie at Davidson. And so I got to know Charlie that way, and then Charlie recruited me, um, played for Charlie for four years, um, stayed on with the college, and was his assistant coach for a couple seasons, um, went off and did a sports marketing mini-career. And then my last two years, in my 20s and late 90s, I went back to coach with him a little bit and then inherited his job. So he was head coach at Davidson for 20 years, um, and I was head coach uh, for 21 years, rather, and I was head coach for 18 years. Um, And then he's been with me side-by-side for the last six months here in Richmond. And I want to
0: get to your kind of background as well in a second. But first, um, I I know like the last time I read at least, there was uh, maybe going to be a memorial service. Has that been set up or is that still uh, to come?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. That was just announced that Sunday, July 28th. At 3 p.m. in Davidson um, at the Davidson College Presbyterian Church, there will be a memorial service mm. for Charlie. So anybody here in Richmond or otherwise are, are welcome to come to that. Um, it's going to be a full house. I'm sure it'll overflow the church there. But the more the merrier to honor Charlie and the great life that he led and the amazing impact he had in the sport of soccer.
0: It's, for a moment, I was surprised to hear it was in Davidson, but obviously that makes more sense given the the long history. And also I didn't realize he was in the North Carolina Soccer Hall of Fame, I believe is what he I read is. at the very end.
1: Yeah, North Carolina, Soccer Hall of Fame, Davidson College Athletics Hall of Fame, um, past president of United Soccer Coaches. Uh, after he left Davidson, he went to be the CEO of Castle, now called yeah. NCFC, which was and I think still is the largest youth soccer club in the country. Um, from there, he went to become CEO of Colorado Rapids Youth Soccer Association underneath the MLS team. And then from there, he went to Tampa Bay United uh, to be their CEO. So big impact person uh, in many cities, many states and uh i knew as i said i knew him from this season as a very like
0: affable friendly fella what was he like as a coach? Because I feel like at a certain point, you can't just be nice if you're trying to get results. And given the history he had, I'm assuming he got results.
1: Charlie was eccentric uh, as a coach and as a person. I love that about him. Um, no Day was like uh, the last one. And um, I, th- I kind of agree with him that there are no ordinary moments. So as a coach, uh, there's a lot of comedy. Um, I liken him to a combination of John Madden and John Candy. <laughs> uh, people know those folks. That's a good combo. He uh, you know, beat red face, really emotional, really excited. Um, would sometimes, you know, break a clipboard or break a bench that he was sitting on because, you know, he's so into the game. There was a moment uh, in a match we played at Furman and we had a breakaway, and you could see him just living the moment. And he's basically running down the sideline as our guy's getting ready to receive a cross to head it in. And he dives on the ground, Charlie does, to basically try to support the guy heading the ball. Of course, I think the header went over. But you see Charlie Slagle on, on his belly, you know, doing a belly flop on the sideline. That, that was not unheard of. I mean he – as a coach, you know, Charlie came to soccer late. He liked it a little bit as a kid, but he was a little bit more of a traditional American sports guy growing up in New York. Um, the way he described it is he found out about Davidson through their basketball program. He listened to basketball games on the radio in the 1960s, and Davidson basketball was very good then and still was very good, um, Steph Curry being our, our favorite icon. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that our, our, uh, our
0: friend in common, Paul Watson, uh, your former player, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know. Somehow I didn't know that Steph Curry came from Davidson, and he looked at me like I was a
1: fool for oh, not knowing yeah. this, which
0: I suppose I was. Yeah,
1: no. Curry is uh, quite an ambassador for the college and uh, doing amazing things mm-hmm. in the NBA and beyond and grew up most of his years in Charlotte and, and went to Davidson kind of as an underdog, unheralded recruit and obviously did amazing things there and then he's just the rocket that continues to climb in the NBA. Um, but Charlie came to to Davidson in the early 1970s. Was going to play football, American football, and uh, he wanted to be tight end. He told the coach, "I want to be tight end." The coach said, "No, you're going to be right guard." He said, "No, I'm going to be soccer goalie," uh, <laughs> and it basically went in that order. So he joined the soccer team and immediately became a, a really good player.
0: Some good negotiation. Yeah, he
1: had been a uh, you know a little bit of a player, but you know good hands. Early 70s, you know USA. Uh, don't need a lot more than that um, to be said. <laughs> But uh, came a great. There, was, soccer there wasn't
0: a massive emphasis on like playing out of the back with your feet with goalkeepers
1: in the 70s. Not no? so much. Really? Really? Not right. so much. No. But you know, he fell in love with the game, yeah. and uh, he went on and had this am- amazing career that people can read about um, and influence he had. I mean, I just heard recently that. He was texting with J.P. Del Cron- De Camera mm-hmm. uh, while he's in France, you know, um, doing the World Cup broadcast um, with Rob Stone and others. And so he knows everybody at every level. He knew Bruce Arena well, um, you know, and all these testimonials that are coming out. I'm gathering. I have like 14 pages of testimonials that I'm gathering to, uh, to give to the family. And I actually like to go ahead, if you're okay, Taylor, just put my um, email address out there. Sure. So if anybody wants to email me anything about Charlie Slagle or Richmond Kickers Pro Soccer, my email, it's on a Richmond Kickers. Website. It's M Spear, S P E A R, at RichmondKickers.com. And if anybody locally here around Richmond ever wants to come by and hang out and sing us in the office, we've expanded our new office and we're at 201 Maywell Street. Uh, right off Broad Street. So come on by and see us.
0: All right. I will uh, put uh, your email address in the show notes just so people have it there so they can uh, email you. And uh, yes, and then uh, if you're in the Davidson area or if you want to make that trip, uh, again, the date was for Charlie's uh, it's Memorial? 3 p.m. Sunday, July 28th. All right. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, cause, and like really, thank you for making the introduction to Charlie because I'm, I'm glad you brought him with you to Richmond. Uh, it, was, it was really nice to get to spend time with him, get to know him a little bit more, and he will definitely be missed. I uh, it's a weird way to transition out of that, but just to say that like he will be missed. But I, I still feel like the kickers have the right people in mm-hmm. place to like it. It's not as massive a blow as it could be, and you are very much uh, heavily involved in that because I think you have come in and and done some things that hadn't been done in seasons past. And the kickers um, seem to have done a, a good job with the outreach. But given that your background is coaching, mm-hmm. when you first took over as president of the kickers, like how hard was it to go from the coach mentality, man management? tactics, game day rosters, all that stuff to more of like the like the kind of game day management side and the management of the club side.
1: Yeah, you know, I've I've got an entrepreneurial streak, and as I mentioned a little bit before, before I became a head coach at age thirty, I was doing sports marketing uh, initiatives, Mm -hmm. and they were TV and internet uh, projects, all funded by Adidas, but but through a private company. And so I've got a little bit of business background in terms of trying to turn around operations or create new paradigms for organizations. So um, I love that opportunity here with the Kickers because I feel like it's not a startup, but in ways it's a turnaround, it's a new chapter for the club, and we're in a new league, and the American soccer landscape is always changing, uh, and I think we're in a a right direction here with the USL. But um, you know, I I left my comfort zone. I left coaching. I left Davidson, and uh, I left college sports to come up here. So with that said, um, I know I'm a pretty self-deprecating guy. I know I have a lot to learn, and so I, I really thrive on a growth mindset. So every day is a learning opportunity. The big thing for me when I got here was to get us out and about in Richmond. I feel like that was lacking a little bit, and so Charlie was a great opportunity who ran our community engagement. But I started a listening tour, if you will, and one of the first people I met with was Daryl Grove and started to get to know you guys and know about your your story mm-hmm. and how you've been involved in the Kickers and what you do for soccer both here and beyond, and, and that led to doing a, a relationship, a partnership. And, um you know, I've done that a lot. I've gone around. I, I kind of call it an RVA sports coalition. So getting to know uh, the Squirrels, the Flying Squirrels have been incredibly generous with us. And congratulations to them for having over 9,000 fans last night at the All-Star Game. Um, tremendous week for them those folks have been uh, really happy with us coming to them because they want that. Mm -hmm. And the Raceway and Colonial Downs and VCU and sports backers, uh, again, I use this term, RVA Sports Coalition, that people here want to help us. Mm -hmm. Um, They want to see us thrive, not just survive. And we need their help. There's no question. And we can't go it our own way. So uh, Richmond folks have been incredibly warm and collaborative about that. So one thing I did early on, besides helping A, build the team and then hire the staff, was just get us out in the community. Um, and, and, And not for anything other than just being good citizens and, and our, our core values are really focused on um, you know, being a great community connector, bringing different kinds of people together around an experience that happens to be pro soccer, um, being others oriented, shared aspirations, stronger together, servant leaders. All those pieces are, are really matter to me at my core and the rest of the ownership group.
0: Uh, So you've got the kind of like uh, the marketing background, like the business background. I'm assuming branding factors into that. The the next question I have, it's a very important question. How do you describe City Stadium with all of that background in place uh, to people who have not yet been there or have not yet seen it? Because it's it's such like a historic stadium, but it's definitely a sort of – confusing stadium to try to explain is, I guess, the best way I can put that.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, you know, Charlie actually coined the, the phrase the new look uh-huh. city stadium. And um, I joke that it's 90 years young. Um, and it is an historic place mm-hmm. for sure. And so much has happened there. I mean, University of Richmond football was its main tenant for a long, long time. But there have been so many other things in that place. Um, you name it, kind of sports. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of history. So Ben
0: Olsen not win the national championship there in like 95 or 96. Well,
1: it's interesting, Taylor, because my first experience in City Stadium was in the mid-1990s when the Final Four, the Mm -hmm. Men's Soccer College Cup um, semifinals and finals were there. Um, I was involved in integrity sports marketing. We had the uh, marketing rights to the NCAA tournament. And so I was there as one of the coordinating producers of the telecast. We had just hosted it for three straight years at Davidson with 8, 10, 12,000 people at three consecutive finals. And then it moved to Richmond and went like 24,000 his first year. And I was incredibly amazed and really inspired Mm -hmm. by that, um, by that, that, you know, community coming together around college soccer. So that leads me to have a lot of hope in this marketplace in terms of a lot of soccer fans coming out. So that was really well done. But since the mid-90s, from what I understand, the only changes that were done at that point to host the Final Four were go from old artificial turf Mm -hmm. to natural grass and to add lights. Since then, as far as I know, nothing has been done. So the ownership group came in, and the first thing we looked at, among other things, is the venue mm-hmm. and realized that, A, it's a great historic asset, but it, it needs a lot of work. And so we tried to start to identify what are the things we can do first to make an impact for the community, both living around that area but also fans hopefully coming to our games. So we started from the outside in, in that, as I tell people all the time, you can only make a first impression one time, so make it a good one. Started with the parking lot. I talked to fans. and They said, they're like, it's a cow pasture. I mean, you wouldn't bring a nice car in there. It was mud. It was rivets everywhere. Yeah. So the first thing we did was just level it off and then put crushed gravel on it. Um, so now it now looks good. It works. It operates well. The next piece we attacked was the front entranceway. So we did a whole new fence line across the entranceway. We did a nice concrete apron underneath the ticket office, cleaned that up area a little bit. Um, then we came inside, started doing some things inside. So we redid the home locker room. We added some technology for the coaches through Spideo. Um, we put really nice uh, seats for the teams uh, on the sidelines. We went with the international style goals, um, starting to work on other areas like the bathrooms and other um, sound, and uh, eventually want to do a lot more out there. But we're well past six. Figures investment uh, in the first quarter alone of this year, and we have big dreams and aspirations to develop the site further.
0: It it must be like a slightly frustrating process, though, just because like Richmond is a city. There's a lot of renovation, like rehab, going on, and like you can choose to buy a house and like renovate it, flip it completely, and then you know everything is brand new. If you've got that like large budget that goes with that, my wife and I bought a house. We're like slowly doing it piece by piece on the podcasting budget that we have, (laughs) Um, and I imagine that's similar to what you all are experiencing, where it's like. Like maybe leveling out the parking lot and putting down gravel isn't like the sexiest yeah. thing compared to like, we're going to have this and this and this, but it's like one of the more useful things yeah. that you could do. So I equate it to like living in the house and slowly renovating it at like when you can, as you can, basically. Yeah.
1: I mean, it is it's a long-term project. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the the club has a 40-year lease with the city. You know, we're in year three of that. And so it, it's just the kind of the birth of a mm-hmm. renaissance, if you will, of that venue. And uh, we feel like we've done a lot this year, maybe not everyone everybody wants but what we want people to see that have not been there a while to come back and go wow they've actually done something different i don't know what it is they might not listen to the show or see the article we have on the website about our, our improvements but they know something's different yeah and then when new fans come that are either new to Richmond or want to go to a pro soccer game, they didn't know about us before. They find out about us through our increasing marketing, et cetera. Um, they're going to go. This is a pretty cool venue. It's yeah. it's great location, right in Carytown, three blocks from Cary Street, right off the Poway Parkway, so easy access. Um, three miles from downtown. Um, so the location is, is critical yeah. for us. And so um, developing it uh, and still kind of you know embracing its heritage is important as well. Um, it, it's got a long way to go. Don't get me wrong. Um, one one of the great things about city stadium is the field. Mm-hmm. So natural grass—that's not always the case. Soccer-specific in terms of its width um, is really helpful, and there's no other lines on it. And so, from a playing standpoint, a coaching standpoint, and from the soccer enthusiast aficionado standpoint, the field is critical, and it looks really good, and it plays really well. It's
0: not on a baseball field. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really enjoy not seeing like the obvious pitcher's mound being uh, covered up, and that is like I, I do enjoy like going to the stadium, and it and it is. Such a thing because I've been going there since like I was like 10 or 11 years old. I guess not 10. I wouldn't have been – they wouldn't have existed then. Oldest continuously operating franchise in the country, obviously. We're 27 years in. Yeah. But uh, like I do remember U of R games being uh, there. And another uh, key thing I would imagine is that for people who aren't from Richmond, University of Richmond moved their football stadium. They built Mm -hmm. one on campus. So then the team stops playing there. So then it's basically just like up to you all at that point or has been for years up to the kickers to kind of Mm -hmm. keep it maintained. Uh, The 40-year lease definitely helps with that these days. The far stand – is that the east, east end. stand? Thank yep. you. Uh, like, I'm assuming that will be the one that probably is the biggest sort of uh, achievement, mm-hmm. if and when it happens, but the biggest challenge right now. Have you all been able to kind of look more at that in the medium to long term, or is that still sort of a ways off as you deal with more immediate concerns?
1: Yeah, before I start in January, some of um – the work by HKS it was already being done about what could we do with this venue. And so HKS is is, is continuing to help us out to design what, what it might look like in the future. Um, those that know the stadium well know that's about a 15,000-seat side that we currently don't use. Um, honestly, it's borderline condemned because it doesn't have the railings on it. So the only thing we do over there is signage for our founding partners, uh, and we also have the ESPN cameras over there for all the ESPN Plus broadcasts. So certainly – tearing that down and redeveloping that side is imminent. Um, We have to figure out when that happens versus other improvements. And so right now, what I'm trying to do is kind of like a project manager, if you will, really figure out what all our menu items are and how we want to put those together in timing. Mm -hmm. That's a lot, given that you're also still running like like the
0: the club in the middle of the season, a season which I'm, I'm assuming has not gone quite the way you would have hoped when you first took over. So is it difficult, again, going back to the coaching, like your coaching background, is it difficult in the moments when the season isn't going well to not like to like kind of keep yourself away, to not get too involved in like the the coaching aspects of it or the practices or anything
1: else that might be going on? Um, not really, okay. frankly. And, 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 you know, I, I'm the president and the GM, so the GM side of my job is to help the soccer side, oversee the soccer side, steer the soccer side. So, um, hire the coaches, evaluate the coaches, help sign the players, and then, you know, hopefully the, the players will do the job that the coaches ask, uh, and make sure the soccer side of operations are going really well and successful and improving and growing. That's the biggest thing. And then on the president's side, it's more the property, the front office staff, the marketing, the sales, the revenue, the business model, the investors, um, Kind of the Richmond politics, if you will, uh, all those things come into play. So, kind of two different sides of my of my job, and I actually love both of them equally. Um, you know, certainly on the soccer side, we want to win, and uh, and that's pro sports, right? And so, you know, we think. A little bit more long term, maybe than the usual average fan would be. You know, we haven't scored a goal or whatever it is. We haven't won a game in a while, uh, and that's frustrating for us. But we also focus on mission and conviction and foundation, and we feel like if we do it the right way. Uh, which I think we will. We will succeed, and, and nothing great comes easy. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a process. Um, there's sacrifice along the way. There's some heartache along the way. But uh, I think the, the hardcore fans, the uh, our best fans, they're going to stick with us doing through and through.
0: Does the like like does your job change? Uh, I'm assuming it changes throughout the season, but like, does it change based on the way things are going? Like, if the kickers are on a winning streak, scoring a bunch of goals, are you able to sort of look in other areas? Whereas, if they're struggling, do you then have to kind of focus yourself on the team a bit more and kind of maybe bringing in new players, or is it sort of regardless you're going to be equally focused on both responsibilities? Um,
1: I would say regardless, I try to focus equally because they're both really important. Now, you know, the team hasn't done great recently, and we know that in terms of the results. Um, so am I I looking at the soccer side a little bit more? Am I uh, talking to the coaches a little bit more? Um, I, I've been to a couple practices recently. I went to the game at Lionsbridge on Tuesday. So trying to make a little bit more of an effort. Really, that's not to, to feel like I'm breathing down their neck as much as just get kind of a pulse. You know, what are we doing? What are we not doing? Um, what can we do better? And I have a really good relationship with the coaching staff. Uh, I respect them and vice versa. And, and they have a job to do. Um, do they know I'm a former coach for many, many years? Of course, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. soccer guy. And and so are the rest of the ownership group, the original ownership group. So uh, you know, they know that we know the game, and I think they appreciate that um, versus someone that doesn't know the game that's just thinking only about the business side. Uh, we, we have appreciation of what they're going through. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've been a coach for a long, long time, so I know it can be hard.
0: We don't get many GMs slash presidents uh, sitting in studio. So I want to ask you a little bit more about like the, the actual operations there because – like, how stressful can that be? How easy is it to get in your head? Because for me, it's easy for me to get in my head. But, like, like for me, I would be nervous about, like, if I say this, should I say this to them? Or is that overstepping? Is that going to put pressure on them? If I tell them, like, maybe you should try this or maybe you should try that. Like, do you – how much, like, stress goes into those sort of conversations you're having with people knowing that you are kind of the decider at that point? So, like, you could potentially ruin a person's day if you tell them the wrong thing even if you didn't mean to.
1: You know, I I don't actually think about that that much, because I think... That's I, probably why you're, you have
0: the job you have, and I have the job I have.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think if I did, I, I probably would get kind of, I guess, paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. I'd probably overcalculate what I'm feeling and thinking. Um, you know, as I said before, I just try to be respectful of their process. Um, I know it's hard. Um, I know it's a pretty much a new team, but a lot of other teams in the league are brand new, obviously. And so um, I know we've been through some injuries, and we've had some tough calls go against us, and... Again, I'm more focused on the process, uh, particularly this first season, and I do believe outcomes will will come from um, from a good process. Um, Do we need to improve? Absolutely. The coaches think about that night and day. So I don't even for one second hesitate about their work rate or their desire to win. Um, They're all about it. I mean they study it every single waking moment, arguably maybe too much. I'm a try to be a pretty balanced guy. Uh, I'm a competitor, but I can also put away work and put away soccer and think about other things and think about family and think about things outside of soccer um, pretty pretty quickly and pretty easily because otherwise it can be suffocating. Mm-hmm. How, have
0: you all had to adjust that process as the season has gone on? Because I imagine that would also be sort of challenging if you've got a long term strategy in place to then look at it and think like, well, maybe this isn't quite working, but we don't want to pull the trigger prematurely. Like, wh- Where are you in terms of the the process from the start of the season to now.
1: Yeah, you know, I did mid-season uh, check-ins mm-hmm. with just about all the staff, including the coaches, um, about a week or two ago. And I, I met with each of the coaching staff individually just to talk to them about, you know, how they're doing off the field, uh, family and otherwise, and and what they like, what they're doing, what they want to improve on, um, and, and where they see everything going. And so that was good to have those one-on-one chats. And then we also carried it on, and Rob Ucrop, who's the chairman and lead investor and longtime Richmond kicker pro himself, um, Rob and I met with the coach staff as a group. And and all I did was just throw different topics up on a board, and we just discussed them and shared ideas. And, and the coaches were very open and, and warmly receptive of talking soccer and talking ideas. Um, and we talked a little bit about some players, and we talked a little bit about uh, how it's going, and, 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 and they listened to some of our ideas.
0: And at this point, are you all thinking maybe you do need new players or some new players to come in to freshen things up, or are you sticking with the, the squad you have now?
1: We have a big roster. We have a lot of players. Um, I think there's enough quality to do well in this league in this year. And, and so I think the first priority is get the most out of this group. And um, we don't want to give up on them because um, that could sour the spirit if all of a sudden you're just rotating players out and in. Um, the, the One of the best qualities of this team is their uni- unity mm. and, um, and their belief in each other and the belief in David, the head coach, Bulow, and also the system. And so I don't want to rock the boat too much. With that said, uh, you know, you get midseason and the coaching staff has a pretty good idea about most of the players and um, both on their skill and ability but also their form. You know, there could be a player uh, that you expect to do a little bit better in this league or at this time of his career that might not be doing it for whatever reason. And I think that the coaching staff has pretty heart-to-heart conversations. They can actually have data with metrics and show if it's not, you know, easily taken um, that you're not doing as well as we thought you were. And you might not be in the 11. You might not be in the 18. um, And how do you feel about that and try to work through some of those things? But uh, I know the question's coming. Yes, we do look at other players at this time of the year. It's my first time doing this, but there are conversations um, with other other folks out there, and we could potentially try to add um, some players to the team midseason.
0: And, and when you're doing that, are you looking at like other USL League One sides? Are you looking at maybe getting some players on loan? You had a Abubakar Kato mm-hmm. previously. I know he's been sent back. Or are you looking at maybe players from like lower divisions around the country?
1: All that. Okay. Uh, everything. So, you know, one example is um, David Bulow um, can contact some of the agents for some of the players that he has close relationships with, and I can do the same thing with and support him um, that he respects that have sent us good players or have good players elsewhere and say, hey, do you have anybody that might be able to come help us? Mm-hmm. Um, we We are reaching out to um, League Two uh, because they're finishing their season, and there could be some players at that level. The thing about League Two is most of those guys are current college players, but not all of them. Some are out of college or some don't go to college. So we're working on that. We have a combine coming up next weekend, July 19 to 21, where interested players for this season and beyond can come and do a three-day trial. Um, That'd be great to see some players there and then uh the championship USL championship we do have relationships with some coaches in those in those uh, in that league and we started to reach out and converse with some of them you know for example hey do you have a player uh that you're just not utilizing because he can you know you have a, you have three great players and you only have two spots in that on that position you know mm-hmm. so they have play four, 442 and they have two forwards that are just rock solid and healthy and doing great is there a third forward on your team that could benefit from coming and playing with us ressies and help us out as well so some of those conversations are coming into play
0: so you're you're talking about like maybe possibly bringing in some uh, players, but mm-hmm. keeping the, the the core in place because there's good chemistry there. Uh, I feel slightly awkward asking because we've had David Bulo in the studio before. We like David Bulo, but has there been conversation about like uh, coaching changes at this point of the season, or is that not something you all are looking at?
1: No, I, I haven't. I haven't thought one second about it, honestly, Taylor. Um, you know, I think David deserves a shot. He's uh, he's he's really eager. He's smart. He's very driven. Um, he's a former kicker pro uh, that was a great pro here, and I really deserve. He and the coaching staff um, deserve a full shot to run mm. at this thing.
0: So You've got North Texas this weekend. Uh, They have been fairly dominant so far. Difficult to know exactly what you're going to be dealing with because they've got players going to FC Dallas, coming back from FC Dallas. Never quite sure, but what are your expectations for that game this weekend?
1: Yeah, I mean the coaches I'm sure are really trying to focus on ourselves. How good can we be? How can we put our style and 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 our adjustments onto them? Obviously, we did play them recently at City Stadium, so they've got all that footage and they can look at other recent games as well. Um, You know, North Texas Soccer Club, they're you know part of FC Dallas, very talented, very young. Um, You know, last time they were here, 16 year olds on the field that are just tremendous players in in the you know U.S. um, national team kind of pool guys, and so uh, I expect a really great team and um we don't know if all those guys are coming back yet um, kind of see what they bring because some guys move on and some guys move up to their mls side but um you know i look at it as a great opportunity and uh it's it's a team we can try to knock off um i think the team has had a good week and a half or so since the last league game you know they played two exhibition games they scored 11 goals in those game those games 6-0 over dc united u23 teams past sunday and then five-nil over Lionsbridge FC, a League Two team, and uh, I'm hopeful that that will give some guys some confidence to score goals, hit in the back of the net, um, and also the team just breathe a little bit and, and realize that they can attack and attack well.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, it is definitely this weekend, correct? Because <laughs> I don't know if Patrick told you this, but Daryl. Oh, yeah. I was supposed
1: d- to confirm that with you. That we had the right day. Um, don't Come out City Stadium if you want to hang out with us anytime, but preferably come when we have a game.
0: <laughs> Daryl and I were both, I don't know why, convinced it was this last this past Saturday. So like, I texted Patrick right before, and he was like, the game is next week? But yeah. sure. Like, yeah. all right. I'll see you tonight, I guess. Like, And then, yeah, I had to call Daryl, who was hopping on his bicycle to ride to the stadium, to say, maybe don't do that. So, uh, yeah. We're, we're on point now, though. We know it's definitely this weekend um, I'm assuming you will be there I'm assuming the uh, the crowd should be pr- pretty good have you been impressed by the uh, attendance so far have you enjoyed it or, or is there more you all want to do to get those numbers even higher
1: uh, both impressed and really want to elevate it as well. And, you know, Red Army has been tremendous. And so when I was introduced at the press conference, gosh, back in December, uh, you know, Richard Hayes uh, sat in the front row. Um, I I gave him a big bell um, just to say, hey, we really honor um, Red Army and how important they are. They've been really loyal. I hung out with some of them on Tuesday down at Newport News. Um, Love those guys and uh, can't thank them enough for um, just being just – True supporters and, and enjoying it, and uh, as I said before, nothing great comes easy. But you need you need that kind of uh, conviction that Red Army has, and they add so much to the stadium environment. Um, they tailgate before the game. They sit in Section O. They have their drums. They have their chants. They have their banners. Uh, I know they're going to do some special things for Charlie Slagle. Um, they're making some signs for him. Um, we are going to have a moment of silence before the game to honor Charlie. I think he'll be talked about um, briefly at halftime as well, and then I know also that Red Army is considering in the 67th minute to do uh, uh, some kind of special chant for that Charlie because he was 67 years old uh, when he passed. So. Uh, Environment-wise, I'm actually really impressed by what we have, and you know the big theme moving forward is to grow that. So when I think of demographics in Richmond that I think are really ripe to learn and come out and enjoy soccer, pro soccer, uh, millennials. It's Mm -hmm. the second-fastest-growing city in the country for millennials, and so that that age group, that demographic uh, tends to really like soccer. They grew Mm -hmm. up playing soccer, or they knew about it from FIFA, um, and they want to have a beer, and they want to hang out, and they want to network, and they want to be outside. So that's a big demographic push that we're really going to emphasize. Uh, persons of color, you know, Latinos, Hispanics um, Tend to be pretty zealous about soccer So that's a big push for us as well and then just expanding the soccer uh, kind of pyramid, you know, getting those those enthusiasts at CVSa, which is the adult league in town, and the other youth soccer clubs. We're doing more and more with Strikers, they're partners of ours, uh, and the other clubs, FC Richmond, etc. Uh, rec soccer, youth soccer, YMCA soccer, um, and just the soccer purist. I mean, we're two blocks right now from Penny Lane, and I've been to games there and watched Liverpool uh, play and enjoyed that environment. But you know, what I, what I would say is, can we reach out and connect? With those folks and say, hey, we know Liverpool is your team. You're at Penny Lane on 7 a.m. on Saturday. Come on out to City Stadium at 7 p.m. that night. and It can be your second favorite team. It can be your local team. It's still pro soccer, and uh, you can have a lot of pride in your pro team.
0: So uh, I know the kick, like David Bulo uh, like prides the team on the way there's the style they're playing, basically the possession, keeping the ball, keep it moving, sort of approach. But like, is it difficult to basically like? sway fans with that because the results haven't gone the way we would have hoped that didn't score a goal in June or at least a league goal in June so like how do you keep fans coming back keep them interested in a team when they are sort of having this downturn in form
1: yeah everybody has their ideology of what a good soccer game looks like and how a team should play you know there's 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 teams that uh, only focus on the results and they're super pragmatic and that's fine I get that. understand that because results really matter. Um, there are certain teams that will pass the ball to, to, to the end of the day mm-hmm. um, and not get results. So, you know, I, I think there needs to be a happy medium and certainly we want to win games. I admire David because he's very principled and he has a game model and he sees the game uh, in a certain way. And, and, and I want him to make a run at that and see if he can win doing that style. And, um, you know, most people that know soccer, that love soccer, would rather see a team connect passes than just launch it long and play kickball. Mm. Now, yeah. that and some people love that style. Um, there's many pro teams that succeed in that style or teams that sit in and counter. You look at Leicester City Triumph three years ago in the Premier League and how they did it. Um, I don't disrespect that at all. But um, I think Dave and the staff, they do want to pass. They want to connect. I'm a former center mid. I didn't like the ball jumping over my head the whole time, you know, skipping me in the midfield. But uh, it has to work. And yeah. so I think what, what the coaches are doing is realizing that those principles matter and we need to continue with them, but also have some variety and also give the players the opportunity to express themselves in their own way. And sometimes, you know, the, the style of play should change during a game and, and when the opponent and where you are to some degree, uh, but you do want an identity. And I think that's important that the coaching staff establishes that and then lets the players go from there. I mean, I'm a big believer that soccer is a player's game. Um, and, uh, you know, long ago when I was a coach six, seven months ago, you know, I guess probably my biggest fear was over coaching because I wanted the players to establish something on the field. And once a game kicks off and the whistle goes, it's up to the players. And that's the beauty of the sport. Um, they're making the decisions on the ball and they're reacting to the game situations. And the players need to know that they need to take, take advantage of what, whatever, whatever the situation is in the game. They have to solve problems.
0: So how do you – I want to go, like, a little bit in-depth on that one because I wish I could be that style of coach. Not that I coach that often, but when I do, I tend to be very talky, mm-hmm. um, which is, again, probably why I have the job <laughs> I do. Uh, how, like, how do you establish that as, like, I'm not – like, I'm kind of not going to say anything because that can so easily look like, oh, he's not saying anything. He's not doing anything. He doesn't have any idea. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, he's letting them figure it out. So how do you establish that precedent in training so that the players kind of know what's expected of them in the game?
1: Yeah. I mean, every coach is different. I'm not speaking for you as a coach or David as a coach, but I think you know, one of the things you want to do is you want to establish some principles of play. Mm. This is how we're going to build from the back. Um, these are some of our patterns. Um, this is our defending line of confrontation where we are high up the field, uh, establishing your shape in terms of your setup, your formation. Um, and I think you, know, you practice and you train these things and you show video of yourselves doing it or maybe you show videos as well of other teams doing it well. And, and so the team has some DNA and they know what they're trying to do. But then you step back and realize that, uh, you know, soccer has to be improvised. It's kind of jazz-like, you know. And and so if a a team surprises you and goes with three forwards and presses the heck out of you, well, you have to respond to that and you have to be ready for that. So uh, adjusting in-game and during the season and honestly for me as a coach, even in situations – you know, um, the team played Lionsbridge a couple nights ago, and uh, we won uh, and played great and scored a bunch of goals. But the field was like 60 yards wide, and so the team had to adjust on the field, you know, to help to do some things to be able to kind of vary their style a little bit. Um, the second goal of the game, Joe Gallardo, was from a direct play. It was a long play, played in behind. He brought it down, great first touch, and then finished the goal. So, um, you know, just just a game kind of dictates what you do and how you do it. But, um, I mean, as a coach, gosh, probably did I bark a little bit from the sidelines? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think at the pro level, you can't do that too much because these are pros. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to trust them. And you can't make as many substitutions at the pro level as you can at the college level. It's only three subs and no reentry. And so you know, when you make those decisions on that starting 11 and who's, who's going to be on the bench in terms of your three available um, subs, you got to stick with that and uh, not too much variables after that. And of course, no timeouts in soccer and things like that. So uh, I think you you, you got to give it to the players. And then after the game, you know, you say, hey, we'll look at the film and we'll grow from there. Um, and you can't be too reactive right when the game ends, win or lose. And I think the best teams, they don't get too high after a win or too low after a loss. That's probably
0: the good way to be. You mentioned uh, Joe Gallardo there, and I'm glad you did, because I wanted to ask, like, he's had a very strong season. Um... What's the process for, like, if if another team comes calling for a Richmond Kickers player? Is it just, like, leave the phone off the hook so you don't have to deal (laughs) with it? Or, like, I'm I'm not, like, asking, like, if, if even anybody has because I'm just hoping they haven't. But when a USL championship or even, like, a major league soccer club comes in, what is that process or how does that work?
1: Yeah, Joe's quite a talent, and I credit um, head coach David Bulow for, for signing him. Um, I think he found out about him a little bit through Dennis Chen, who had overlapped with him down in Orlando. And, and there's a great long story by Nathan Heinchel on our, our website about Joe, feature story I encourage people to read. But, you know, grew up in San Diego, uh, got some Mexican descent, and went down to Monterey, um, was in that U15, U17 pool with Christian Pulisic and others. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for a couple of different reasons, an injury here or not signing there, uh, what have you didn't get that big breakout contract that some of the other guys did but um, you know you can you can look at on YouTube of some of the goals he scored at the U-17s against Brazil and England and top top competition so uh, he's a great pickup for us for sure I think in this season he's shown his quality early in the season got a lot of goals early um, recently he's been shut down a little bit because he's such a man mark guy yep and what I think David and the coaching staff have done is smartly try to move him to some different spots. You know, he's played, um, wide recently. He can play as a forward striker, number nine. He can play as an underneath forward. He can play as a center mid. Um, he's a player you want on the field and then go find the ball mm-hmm. and, and, and things can work when he gets it. So, but other teams obviously know his quality and his talent. So there's been lots more man marking, a little bit more fouling. Um, so it makes it a little more challenging. But what that should do is open up opportunities for other players. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, uh, um, will other clubs start knocking on our doors? Probably. Um, we're, we're fortunate that we have them here with us, and we want to keep them. At the same time, Dave and I both agree that we owe it to the player to develop them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and we want to keep uh, Joe developing and growing as a pro. And I'm hoping it's Richmond Kickers for a long, long time. Um, but we'll see how the years go forward.
0: This is a genuine question of ignorance here. Like I, Major League Soccer is the way players move, the way teams transfer players is – itself pretty convoluted Mm -hmm. i i genuinely don't know how it works in usl league one is there like if somebody did Mm -hmm. juan joe gallardo is there transfer fee or is there like are there allocation funds and things of that nature the way they have in major league soccer um
1: my my understanding is it's 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 a lot more seamless in mls Mm -hmm. um and it's it's going to be a lot easier to make those changes and so um again this is my first year doing this but my expectation is we can make changes kind of when we want to to some degree Mm -hmm. um Again, we'll look at some options midseason coming in. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll do them or not. That's to be the right fit, person, talent, and all those kind of things. But um, I think, you know, with a guy like Joe, yeah, we, we can we can listen to offers and opportunities. We're not focused on that right now. Yeah. We're focusing on him his development this season. Nothing's going to happen in the short term.
0: All right. Well, what will happen in the short term? You will have North North Texas SC coming to town definitely this Saturday. This Saturday. Uh, Matt, I'm assuming you will be there doing all of your 15 to 16 match day jobs, and that's probably on the lighter side?
1: Yeah. You know, It's funny because I kind of want to watch the game as a soccer guy, not not (laughs) to mention the GM, but I do tend to run around a little bit really just to talk to people and just kind of like how are you doing? How do you like this? And, and, and kind of use that as an opportunity to, for lack of a better term, a focus group. But there's always situations that come up. I mean, live sports, uh, I used to be on the TV side, and that was wild and crazy. But now and actually in the kind of entertainment world, if you will, on site in a venue, there's so much that goes into it. We have a tremendous staff that work tirelessly um, through the week to prepare for games and um, find vendors and uh, partners and sponsors and ticket sales and Game operations and um, all these things that go into produ- producing a, a great event for the fans. And we look at it as a festival with soccer going on in the background. I think it's that's what Richmond's all about is getting people together of different kinds of backgrounds uh, and let them enjoy a night out. But, uh, yeah, I, I tend to roam around a little bit. I'll, I'll tell one story. Our very first game, my first game, being there uh, against Lansing, March 30th, is the group that we thought were going to be the beer pourers. Last minute, pulled out, couldn't do it, and uh, so myself, my wife, my oldest son, my brother, my niece, and Charlie Slagle jumped behind and started pouring beers. Um, And it's just what you do, you know. You just, you just, no one's above anything, and we help out and one another game we had an internet issue so we couldn't sell tickets and so we're jumping we're jumping out there just selling tickets for cash and we'll figure it we have figured out most of those situations so it's a lot smoother operation um as each game goes along and as we grow the crowds you know more challenges come but that's what we want mm-hmm. we, we want to grow these crowds and I mean, I when I talk to people around Richmond, I really feel like within a season or two, six, seven, eight thousand fans per game is very doable for us. And uh, this community can support that. You look at 9,000 last night at Squirrels game. They're averaging about 7,000. VCU men's basketball sells out at about 7,000 per game. So I feel like those are probably kind of, uh, I wouldn't say ceiling numbers, but pretty good for Richmond. Mm-hmm. And I feel like pro soccer, if done right um, with engagement and partnerships, um, can reach those numbers very quickly.
0: And then in terms of the rest of the season, how are you gauging progress? Like, I'm assuming you're not saying we got to score four goals a game, otherwise this season is a failure. But how are you sort of looking at it for people who are looking at this team right now and wondering, like, how does this get better? Like, what would you say to them? How do you, like, kind of encourage them to see the progress that is being made?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, what are are the the primary ways to to evaluate um, the first one is going to be wins. You know, are are we turning these close games into wins? Um, Are but, but going deeper than that, are we creating more chances to score? Are we getting more clean sheets? So those those things really factor in to get wins, right? Um, are we developing our players? Um, so those are the soccer sides of it for sure. And we still have yet to see a couple of the teams in the league. We haven't seen Forward Madison, and we haven't seen TFC. So right. it's even though we're halfway through the season, there's still a lot more to figure out. And um, it's 28 game schedule, which is goes for a while. And uh, there's plenty of points. I mean, if we get a couple of wins, we're right in the playoff hunt again. So you know, we don't focus on winning the 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 whole you know the whole championship right now we focus on winning the next game and you go day by day week by week focus on excellence if have a growth mindset get better every single day uh and then eventually things are going to go your way if you do it the right way
0: and is your expectation for the season still to make the playoffs or is is it still just game by game
1: it's game by game with the underlining plan to get to the playoffs and then once you get in the playoffs it's wide open
0: all right well We shall see, but it all starts with North Texas this weekend. Matt, thank you very much for taking the time. A a, a good chunk of your day, I would say, getting uh, downtown and finding a spot because, you know, you're parked on the street, right? Yeah. It can be challenging, so I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you coming all the way up here. Thank you very much, Matt Spear. uh, And thank you very much for coming in to talk about Charlie Slagle as well. Uh, We love Charlie. We are very sad uh, that he won't be there. It will be – Oh, that just registered me that he's not going to be there at the stadium on yeah. Saturday. That uh, Yes, so I'm assuming that's a thing that you are going to be processing on Saturday. So I appreciate all that you will be doing with that in the background.
1: Yeah, thanks, Taylor. And Daryl's not here today, but you guys have a tremendous show. It's a incredible asset for RVA and not just RVA, for soccer. Um, People listen to this show all over the world, and um, I listened to exactly zero podcasts before (laughs) January, but when I got here... You and my father. Yeah, when I got here, the very first thing I want to do is reach out to important people in this town, and when I heard about you guys and how good you were and listened to a couple of the shows... You reached out to Daryl. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But just Daryl, exclusively. I I had coffee with Daryl straight away, and um, you guys do a tremendous job, and for us, it was another opportunity for us to... I hate to use the word marketing, but kind of spread our gospel, if you will, and you guys do a tremendous job because you do it in a fun, professional, but clever way.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'm assuming that is all directed at Daryl since he is the the important, influential one, and then I am also here.
1: Well, every great soccer organization has to have an English accent, (laughs) but only one of them.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that. Matt, thank you again uh, for taking the time. We very much appreciate it.